KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Watch out, mister. Here comes the twister. This is Rudy Ray Moore. Yes, I'm the human tornado. Get ready to meet Rudy Ray Moore. I chained down thunder and handcuffed lightning. I'm so damn strong, it's sometimes frightening. I grabbed a star traveling a million miles a minute and slowed it down to the state speed limit. Rudy Ray Moore may not be a household name, but all that may change with the release of Dolomite Is My Name, Eddie Murphy's passion project about the singer, stand-up comic, actor, and film producer, Rudy Ray Moore. I'm Beth Accomando, and welcome to another episode of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about two legacies, that of Rudy Ray Moore and Eddie Murphy, that have become intertwined in the new film, Dolomite Is My Name. To discuss Murphy's new film, as well as the original Dolomite film and exploitation cinema in general, I'm turning to a trio of people that I've previously had on Cinema Junkie. First, I'll be speaking with David Walker, award-winning comic book writer, author, filmmaker, journalist, and educator. And then I'll talk with San Diego-based independent filmmakers, Sands Dixon and Dante Moran. But before we start the discussion, I need to take a short break. But I'll go out with a montage of TV ads to bring you back in time to the 1970s and that short-lived film movement known as exploitation cinema. When I come back, I'll start my interview with David Walker. You've been corporatized, blackularized, and superflied. You've been macked, hammered, slaughtered, and shafted. And now we're going to turn you on to some brand new jive. You're going to be glorified, unified, and filled with pride when you see five on the black hand side. Trouble is here. He wears $600 suit, drives a $10,000 car, and he carries two guns. One to stop trouble, and one to make trouble. Black hell breaks loose. Are you ready for the Black Street Fighter? The Black Street Fighter. He's a fighter for hire, and he's paid to take on all comers. Today, he's going right to the top. He's taking on the system. Hey, all you jive hustlers, you stone foxes, you mean dudes, watch out. Cause Slaughter's back in town. They call her coffee. Cause if you java, she'll cream you. Blood is red. Voodoo is blue. Sugar is sweet. Revenge is sweeter. The fear of the year is here. Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde, a monster he could not control, have taken over his very soul. A screaming demon rages inside, turning him into Mr. Hyde, an unstoppable black Superman. Super strong, supernatural, and super bad. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. So bring your mama, she'll like it too. KPBS On Demand 
is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. David, we have talked before about black exploitation cinema, which is something that I really love. And Eddie Murphy has just come out with a film about the making of Dolomite and about Rudy Ray Moore. So a lot of people may not be familiar with him. So give us a little background on who Rudy Ray Moore was. Well, Rudy was many things. He was a comedian. He was a singer. He was sort of a vaudeville jack-of-all-trades, but hadn't really made waves in the entertainment world. And uh, then in the, the early 70s, he, as a comedian, he adopted this persona uh, this character named Dolomite, which became a really big hit, sort of an underground big hit, but still a big hit nonetheless, and then parlayed that into uh, a series of really popular comedy records, and then made a, made some movies, like really low-budget movies that became cult hits. And it's just kind of interesting because he's he, Rudy Ray Moore and Dolomite are sort of these um, cult figures, and, and it's just kind of interesting now that like a couple of weeks from now, everybody's going to know who he is. That's just such a, such a weird thing because for the last, you know, <clears throat> several decades, it's it's like one of those secrets. You know, we, I would always say there's two types of people in the world. There's the people who know who Rudy Ray Moore is, and then there's the people that never heard of him. And all that's about to change. Now, he started in music and stand-up comedy. Uh, Dolomite became a film in the 70s. And... Explain a little bit about how this film kind of fits into the broader black exploitation cinema because it's not exactly typical of probably the stuff that most people are familiar with. Yeah, you know, it's a. I mean, it came along the the, the black exploitation era or movement or genre, whatever you want to call it, was was pretty short lived. It was like only from about 1970 to 79, really, and and by 77 it was it was really on the decline. Dolomite came out in '75, so it movie comes out towards the end of this this craze that included movies like Shaft and Superfly and Foxy Brown. Everybody was sort of riding that bandwagon, trying to capitalize on it. It was a time when you know movies that were were marketed towards a predominantly black inner city audience. They were made dirt cheap, and they they turned a really good profit for for whoever distributed them, produced them, and distributed them. And so, you know, Dolomite comes along really after, you know, the height of, of the popularity of these movies, which was, you know, probably 72, 73, and then 74, things started to wind down. And, and I think on paper, it looked like it was a bad move, you know, making, making a movie, especially financing it out of your own pocket, which is what Rudy did. But it, in, in some ways, it, it breathed new life very briefly into that time and that era because nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody had made movies like Dolomite. There were some really low budget films that came along and, and they were made by people who didn't really necessarily know what they were doing, which if you watch the first Dolomite, it's clear they don't know what they're doing. But there's some, there's a certain level, I guess, of heart and soul, which this new Eddie Murphy movie gets into that, that elevated Rudy's movies above, say, something like you know, there's there's so many bad movies from that era, like Speeding Up Time or The Guy from Harlem or Baby Needs a New Pair of Shoes, all these movies that have really 
in, in well, for, there's a reason why that they've gone into obscurity and, and very few people remember them. But the Dolomite has um, had something special going for it. And the other thing that was a little bit different, not just in terms of the budget, but a lot of the films that kind of have been remembered and get a lot of play are films like with Pam Greer or Fred Williamson. They tended to be either action or drama, but tended to be a little more a little more rooted kind of in the real world. And Dolomite yeah. was this kind of it didn't feel like on a certain level it kind of was hearkening back to like that kind of vaudeville shtick and and it was comedy and it was very kind of broad comedy. So in that respect too, it seemed to not quite fit into what was what what seems to be remembered best from that era. Yeah, no, there's um those the the little rascals, the the hour gang mm-hmm. shorts from the thirties. There was always there's a bunch of ones where like Spanky and and those guys, Alfalfa, would put on a play like in the, you know, wherever the backyard or the basement or something like that. You know, it was always this sort of thrown together slapdash production, and and that's what those you know the Rudy Ray Moore movies feel like. Mm-hmm. They feel like, um, you know, he got a bunch of people together and was like, hey, let's go make a movie, and and well, that's that's actually what he did. So there's sort of a similar vibe with um, the films of Ed Wood. Yeah. Although I think that the people that worked on Rudy's movies actually made better movies than Ed Wood did. And, and of course, the, the writers of this new film, Dolomite Is My Name, the same guys who wrote the Ed Wood movie that Tim Burton directed. So, so there's some similarities there. It's, um, but, but yeah, Rudy's movies are, are, are definitely, they're set in their own unique sort of universe, which is, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, is the, is the Dolomite universe. Well, you mentioned Ed Wood, and there is this sense of that kind of a burning need to make a movie, not really having the money or necessarily the knowledge to do it, but somehow just getting through it. But at least with Rudy Ray Moore in the end, he was far more financially successful than Ed Wood <laughs> ever seemed to have been. Yeah, no, Rudy, you know, I mean... It's it's funny because if you watch Dolomite, it's such a crude movie in terms of uh, craft and skill, and it sort of is a miracle that it it did well. But then if you watch the, the next two movies that came after that that he did, The Human Tornado and uh, Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law, those are much better films. They're they're technically more well crafted. There's a better sense of of cinematic craft and style. And so he got it. Clearly, he started to get it right, at least briefly, as opposed to Ed Wood never seemed to get it right. And so it's just sort of interesting because in, in the Eddie Murphy movie, there's some, some moments in which they actually recreate scenes from the second movie, from Human Tornado, and, and sort of play it off as it's being from Dolomite. But it's, it's really clear, like, they, they scored a touchdown, they, they won with the first movie, and they were like, okay let's learn from our mistakes, which was really pretty cool. Eddie Murphy had been wanting to make this film for a while, and one of the things that I think makes it work well, which is the same thing that I think worked for the Tim Burton, Ed Wood film, is he comes to it from what seems to be a place of affection and of like really wanting to pay tribute to this guy that he feels may not be remembered in the best way possible. Yeah, there's you never get the sense that... Um, he thinks that Rudy is, is someone um, that you should be making fun of or, or there, there's never a sense of 
um, malice or anything like that, or even mocking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's there's this great sense of respect and and reverence for for the person and the work, and and that really comes through. And and it's just interesting to me because, you know, I was I was fortunate enough to I met Rudy like twenty something years ago, nearly twenty five years ago, and had the opportunity to work with him a little bit, hang out with him, get to know him, and you know, he he was a very different person than the Dolomite persona. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we would talk about was even though he was doing comedy and he was a comedian, he, he always wanted to be taken seriously within the context of what he was doing. And and I think that a lot of times people don't necessarily take him or the movie seriously. And some of it wasn't all his fault, you know. Um, the the When the movies were released on home video back in the 80s, the company that released them never released them in the proper aspect ratio. So they were never cropped properly. And so the boom mic is in all these shots, right? And it really makes the movie, especially Dolomite, the first one, look even more amateurish than it really was. Mm -hmm. Because in reality, you wouldn't have seen the boom mic nearly as much if they had released it in the proper aspect ratio. And, And I remember talking to Rudy about that. Like, it was, it was like, there was people that didn't take him seriously in the 70s and then in the 80s and 90s during the home video revolution when people were rediscovering his work, they were rediscovering it in, in some ways in the wrong context. And what did you think of the Eddie Murphy film overall? Did he – I mean we talked a little bit about how he, that affection comes through, but how did he capture what Rudy Ray Moore was like? I mean is it accurate in any way? Because, you know, it's a very entertaining film, and I'm not sure how much of it is fact-based or how much of it is, you know, kind of spinning. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's a really, really entertaining movie. And he, you know, I feel like Eddie Murphy is playing a character more than he's playing Rudy Ray Moore, but that's just, that was sort of my takeaway from it. But he's still playing him as a very compelling character. I, 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 I have trouble with these sort of, biographical films that, that try, in which the actors really try to embody the person so much as just embody the character of what that person represents to either to them or to the public at large. I, I don't want to see something that's necessarily so accurate that I might as well just be watching a documentary, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and And so... Eddie Murphy, I feel like, is playing, is, is doing his idea of what Rudy was so much more so than he he's actually playing Rudy. And, and, you know, there's some people who have some problems with it. I, I've, I've talked to a couple of people who've seen the movie and they're like, Oh, he, Eddie sounds just like, you know, a character from another movie, like, you know, buddy love or, or something like that. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. Let Eddie play who he wants to play Rudy the way he wants to play him, which is great. I mean, I think it's one of the, probably the three best performances Eddie Murphy's ever given in his career. And then, if you really are interested, go back and watch Rudy's movies, especially Human Tornado, which I think is the best of, of all his movies. Yes, I'm the Human Tornado. Spinning, grinning, and sinning. I used an earthquake to mix my milkshake. I eat an avalanche when I want ice cream. I punched a hurricane and made it a breeze. 
I swallowed an iceberg and didn't freeze. The human tornado. Bringing cash and talking trash. See me delayed, relayed, mislaid, and parlayed. Jump, thump, bumped, and mug wump. The human tornado. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without a parent or a note from your jailer. Also, a number of the black exploitation films were made through Hollywood studios, and a number of them had white directors. But yep. Rudy's films were really something that he created, and so there was, you know, a, a black filmmaker behind them, which was different from some of the the more studio based films. Yeah, and even how initially how the first movie got distributed, you know, him going out and four-walling it, you know, renting the theater and, and showing it also harkens back to another era of yeah. a film, of black independent film that a lot of people don't talk about. And, and, and Rudy is never, Rudy and his movies are never placed within a historical context of the black films from the, the really going back to the 20s, but the, especially the 30s and 40s, whether it was a Oscar Micheaux film or a, a Spencer Williams or, um, you know, eventually white directors started making some of these movies too. And, and Rudy's movies really belong in that, that category, maybe even more so than the seventies black exploitation movies, because it was, it's clear he was influenced by them. And they even follow some of the same story beats as, you know, there's movies like Duke joint and, and boy, what a girl. And, and all these movies are, are usually pretty basic. They have a very basic plot, and then there's an excuse for a musical number, a couple of musical numbers, a couple of dance numbers, and some comedy routines. And and if you watch like Rudy's movies, they have all of that, right? They mm-hmm. they don't have you know big budgets or anything like that. But it's like oh, there's the comedy routine. Oh, there's the dance number. Oh, there's the there's the music number. And very few film critics or historians have ever talked about it in that context. But, uh, you know, I remember hanging out with Rudy at a film festival in the early 2000s, and we got into this really deep conversation about filmmakers like uh, Spencer Williams and, and Oscar Micheaux and and the independent world of film that they came up in in the 30s and 40s, distribution when theaters were still segregated, when the entertainment world, when there was still the Chitlin circuit, and all that stuff influenced Rudy and and him and I talked about that at length and, and I wish more people could understand like the larger historical context of, of where Rudy fits in. And also, is there any kind of pushback to his films just in the sense that, well, just black exploitation cinema in general, sometimes I feel like when you want to screen them, you get a little pushback at times saying like, well, you know, these are dated or they they don't necessarily always represent the African-American experience as some people might want it presented. And I don't know if with his films being more comedic, is there also some pushback in, in even within the African-American community about them not really representing in a way that they want to like remember or bring back or showcase? <laughs> Well, there's there's always pushback, right? There's always people that you know can find the negative and stuff, and you know, and yeah, those movies they're they're raunchy and they're you know definitely there's a level of sexism and misogyny in them that um, and they're politically incorrect. There's there's so much stuff that you you can't escape it. At the same time, it's like 
we have to, I, I'm a strong believer that we have to learn how to contextualize what it is we're watching, what it is we're talking about, and not get caught up in totally examining it from a contemporary standpoint. Yeah, we examine it from a contemporary standpoint, but we also have to look at it from, okay, well, this is what was going on in 1975. This is how it fits in. And and then go from there and and recognize that, okay, if, if these are the things that you're not into, if you're not into, say, raunchy sex humor, then don't watch the movie. You know, that's the, that's the thing. I, I, I've had so many people, oh, I thought it was terrible and I was offended by it. And it's like, well, there, there's, you could always turn it off. You don't have to watch it. I mean, I, I'm the sort of person, if, I don't, see, if I, I don't like what I'm watching, I stop watching it. If I find it offensive, I, I walk away from it before it gets to the point that I'm, you know, so horribly offended I'm not going to be able to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Well, and it just seems like there's so much to appreciate about him being this you know, kind of self-made man and the way that he pursued this and was able to become successful on the real fringes of the yep. film industry. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I agree 100%. And, you know, you mentioned how it, this kind of, to put it in a context, how it, it references back to some of the early black cinema. In terms of where we are now, is Tyler Perry sort of in that same ground in the sense of, you know, he came to film having built an audience, um, you know, this kind of community-based audience, and he's making films that he wants to make outside the Hollywood system. And it seems like, you know, he's tapped into something very particular and successful for him, but not necessarily of mainstream Hollywood. Yeah, it's funny that you should say that because I, you want to talk about something that I think would offend or yeah. drive some people crazy is is if you were to compare Tyler Perry to, to Rudy Ray Moore. But there's there's more comparisons there than than most people are probably comfortable with. And 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 to take it one step further, if you look, Tyler Perry, you know, I'm, I, I've never been a big fan of his work, but my I've always had respect for the business side of things, how he handles things, right? Rudy was never able to make it in the mainstream film world. There was a handful of movies that he appeared in and and made those attempts that never quite worked out. You know, Tyler Perry, you know, he he made that one Alex Cross movie and it was just like, oh no, you know, go go back, go back to what you're doing, go back to Medea, you know, like he's found the formula that works for him. He's never found really is I can't think of anything in which Tyler Perry's found like the super success in mainstream film, but he doesn't need it, you know? He's he's successful in his own terms. You know, I think in a different time and different place, you know, maybe Rudy could have done you know, found that level of success. Maybe not. Maybe it was just the natural progression. But, you know, Tyler Perry, that's people don't talk about Tyler Perry and Oscar Michaud in the same sentence that often, just like they don't talk about Rudy Ray Moore and Oscar Michaud in the same sentence, but yet they should be because they're all a long line of the same tradition, and you wouldn't have had one without the other, without the other, without the other. And, and you know, to me, it's like, it, it's a no-brainer to see it, you know, especially if you look at Tyler Perry's earliest productions, you know, even before he, when he was just doing the, the plays and 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 videoing, videotaping those plays and selling those before he really hit it big and started filming stuff. Um, you know, he found he found his audience, and and his audience was big enough and was willing to spend enough money to support him, and he never overspent. 
And that's, you know, that's sort of what Rudy did. He made his records first and then used that money that he made from the records and leveraged it and borrowed money to make Dolomite. And, you know, just when it seemed like it wasn't going to work out, the film found its audience. Well, there's a a scene in the Dolomite film, the Eddie Murphy, Dolomite is my name, where he's trying to pitch the film and... I believe it was one of the white producers says something like, well, you know, you're making this movie for five blocks of people and, you know, that's not how you're going to make money. And then Rudy responds by saying, yeah, but there are those five blocks of people in every single city. And it seems like he and Tyler Perry have yep. found like those segments of the population that will support them and understand that that is an audience. And even if you kind of look at it as small, it's like if you multiply it by every city, it comes out to be fairly big. And not only is it an audience, right? This is the this is what's really crucial. And I, I love that moment in the movie. That was like one of the mo- moments where I like stood up and was, I was ready to stand up and just start cheering. Right? It was this acknowledgement that you know what Rudy or what you know what the character is saying in the movie and and what Tyler Perry has figured out is like not only is it an audience, but it's an audience with needs. It's people who have there's things that they want to see. There's there's things that they're entertained by. Let's give that to them. And to me, that was like such a telling moment. And it was so heartfelt to me. And, and because it was th- that this, the, the, the dismissive way, you know, the, the Hollywood guy is like, you know, it's just for five blocks of people. It's like, yeah, but those, again, those five blocks matter. And, and, you know, if you've got those five blocks and say, even if it's just, you know, 40 of the 50 states, you know, that's enough to, to make, make some money. And also, even if it's a smaller audience or whatever size it is, it's an audience that merits attention and, and you know, should be getting films that address their interests and needs and desires. Something that entertains them, that's it, exactly. So how do you think the Eddie Murphy film is going to do? Do you think it's going to find an audience today? Oh, I do. I think so. I mean... You know, Netflix in and of itself is such a crazy model, and they're doing a—I um, know they're doing a limited theatrical for it, um, which I think is pretty smart. Because I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if if um, if somebody in that production gets nominated, and I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie gets nominated for some for some awards. You know, whether it's a Golden Globe or a, an Oscar, um, you know. And I think it, there'll be it'll be interesting to see people then watch. Some of Rudy's movies and really, <laughs> you know, really sort of discover them for for the first time and see them for what they are. But I was I went into it with like a lot of apprehension. I I was like, oh man, you know, if this movie sucks, I'm just going to be so so disappointed because this this is a project that I the sort of project that I'd wanted to do for a very long time. You know, I always thought that Rudy's story would make a really good, interesting behind the scenes sort of thing. And there's a couple other movies from that era that I think would make really good, you know, behind-the-scenes movies. Uh, Mario Von Peebles made one about his dad making Sweet Sweetback's Badass song. But I like Dolomite Is My Name more than I like Badass, which I thought was, you know, a decent little film. So I I think people are going to love it. You know, I think that amongst other things, you know, people really love Eddie Murphy. It's been a long time since Eddie's done a, a, a movie that, that audiences really get behind and, and really, you know, remember why we liked him. And, and, you know, here's a cat who's been around for over 40 years. Um, and, and this is like, 
watching this is like, oh, yeah, this is why I fell in love with Eddie Murphy. It, and it's like, to me, it's all of Eddie Murphy. It's Eddie Murphy from Saturday Night Live that we first fell in love with. It's that 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 strong charisma he had really early in his career with like 48 hours and trading places. And then it's him when he was really hitting his stride in the early 90s with movies like Boomerang. Um, but this is this is the, the, the sort of, I guess, the maturation of Eddie, right? You know, we've seen him, if, if we're all old enough, most of us, are, you know, the hardcore fans are old enough to remember when he was like 18 years old, 19 years old on, on Saturday Night Live. Now he's, you know, in his, in his mid to late 50s, and he's really come into his own as a, as a performer. And I just, I'd love to see him follow up and do some, some more interesting stuff like well, this. Well, you talked about Rudy Ray Moore in the context of film, but he also seems to have influenced comedians like Eddie Murphy. And also you have Snoop Dogg in the film uh, and kind of paying tribute yep. to Rudy Ray being acknowledged as kind of this godfather of rap. So he, it seems like he influenced all, or that his kind of influence has spread out beyond just film. He's, it's, it's the world of hip-hop, it's the world of film, it's the world of comedy. I would say the three comedians that most get most talked about in terms of black comedians are, you know, um, Richard Pryor, Bill Cosby, and, and Red Fox. Richard Pryor and Red Fox being the blue comedians who did the, you know, profanity and sex jokes, and, and then Bill Cosby being the, um, you know, being remembered for that wholesome comedy, which is... Yeah. Kind of crazy now, given everything that we know about him, right? But you know, there's there's comedians who are sort of lost in time that people don't talk about as much as they should. Yeah, Dick Gregory being one, um, Godfrey Cambridge being one, and then Rudy Ray Moore being one. Um, comedians and 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 people who who study comedy and and study pop culture will know who some of these people are, but but the mainstream public doesn't. And I, I'm just excited at the, the possibility, the prospect of people, you know, rediscovering Rudy and, and, and then also being offended <laughs> by him because that's the thing. Like, he's, it, like, some of his stuff is truly, genuinely offensive. To me, it's, it, like, it's funnier. Some of his jokes are funnier just because how much they offend people. And and I'm one of those people who, who loves to watch people get offended. And you mentioned that Eddie Murphy may get some accolades and nominations for this. But one other person who stands out in this film that was so enjoyable was Wesley Snipes. Oh, wasn't he great? You know, he's because um, he, he plays he plays Derville Martin, who directed Dolomite. And and I've sort of been obsessed with Derville Martin because he was a character actor going back to the 60s. He was in, you know. Rosemary's Baby and and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and then he becomes a supporting character actor during the black exploitation era directed some stuff but he died really young Derville Martin died in his early 40s like in I think in 1984 or something like that and there's not a lot known about him and like I don't know how accurate Wesley Snipes' portrayal is but it is so memorable because he just he plays Derville as a sort of you know drinks a little bit too much, doesn't really care about what he's doing. And, and from everything I've heard, this is what, you know, on the set of Dolomite, he was not a nice person. Um, and he comes across in some ways almost as the villain of the film, which I think is really interesting, but so hilarious because, um, you know, and Wesley isn't known for doing comedy, but he does he was it so, so good. well. And there's movie. also this air about the character of, 
Like, I was in Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby. I am so much above all of, you know, what's going on (laughs) in this madness on on the set. I think a lot of the humor came from that. Yeah, and and meanwhile, he played what he was like the elevator operator in Rosemary's Baby. It's like, But that's a whole other class compared to this. Yeah, no, I I really enjoy that. I I think that's going to be an interesting... It, you know, I know that, like, on a personal level, I know Wesley Snipes has been through a lot yeah. of stuff the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And, but it's interesting to see him make, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, I hate to say a comeback. You know, I hate to say that for both Eddie or Wesley Snipes. But I feel like in some ways these, these films are an opportunity for audiences to rediscover both of these actors in a way that's like for older folks like myself. It's like, oh, yep, this is, this is why I like these guys. And then for younger audiences, I mean, it's been 20 years since Blade came out. There's there's people out there who don't really get who Wesley Snipes yeah. is or why he meant a lot to audiences. It's been even, you know, almost 30 years since New Jack City. And and even going back to Eddie, it's like, you know, there's some people who only know Eddie Murphy as like, you know, the voice of Donkey from right. from the Shrek movies. And those have been a while. So uh, I, I think it's going to be, I, I think this whole movie is, there's a lot of opportunities for discovery, not just discovery of the subject matter but also discovery of the talent involved in making it take one marker action hold it dolomite what do you want fbi what do you want man where's your warrant at this badge is my warrant open up the trunk it ain't mine i don't know how i got in You're going to jail for a long time. You're going to have to take me. Cut. 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 Is there any angle that you could shoot this where it looks like he's actually kicking him? There's no such angle. I went to the screening for this with a couple of uh, filmmakers and one of the things that we all really enjoyed was the actual on the set stuff that oh, behind yeah, the scenes yeah. look was so much fun because there's so much about overcoming those obstacles of not having money, not having, you know, everybody who may be the most skilled, but having that just burning passion to get something done. And it really captured that. No, I, I thought it was so amazing. And, and it captured it in a... in. I guess, for lack of a better term, a, a respectful way. Because, you know, again, they could have really um, played it up like these guys were, you know, completely inept and, and sort of losers, right? But they right. don't, nobody comes across as lovable losers. They come across as people who just, like, really want to do this, don't quite know how to do it, but they, but they get through it. And, and, I mean, the fact that, you know, Rudy made as many movies as he did that, you know, he's, you know, sadly he passed away in 2008. So he's been, he's been gone for over a decade. But those movies are nearly 50 years old. The fact that we're, you know, we're still, that we're talking about them again. We're talking about those movies, that people are going to rediscover them and really start having interesting conversations about that era and that time and what the, the larger exploitation era and genre meant is says a lot. Because I, I honestly don't think, there's anybody, with the exception of maybe Pam Greer, um, there's very few people who, on a personal level, were as interesting as Rudy was. I'll probably get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but I've met a t- 
ton of those folks. I've known a lot of the actors and a bunch of the filmmakers. And, you know, Rudy's story is, um, is, is, pretty, is pretty amazing. Well, I want to thank you very much for talking about Rudy Ray Moore and the new film about him. But I also want to give you a chance to talk about your own work because you do an amazing amount of stuff. And if people are in San Diego, they often see you at Comic-Con here. But um, what do you have coming up right now? Oh, what do I have coming up right now? Well, let's see. I'm I'm co-writing. There's two different series that I've been co-writing. Uh, one is over Image Comics. I've been co-writing Bitter Root with Chuck Brown. Sanford Green is the artist on that. We're getting ready to, to launch into Volume 2 early next year. We're working on it right now. And that's a, um, you know, a comic about a, a family of monster hunters that's set during the Harlem Renaissance. And then over at D.C., I'm co-writing a book with my friend Brian Bendis, and that's a book called Naomi. And that just, uh, that just wrapped up. We're getting ready to do the sequel to that. Jamal Campbell is the artist, and Jamal is finishing up a Green Lantern book. And then we we jump in back into Naomi, and then um, and then I've been dabbling in self publishing again, which is where I came from. So I just put out a, a supernatural west or supernatural wrestling comic about wrestlers and werewolves and um, family dysfunction, and that's called One Fall. And that's um, I put that out with with the artist Brett Weldley. And so I'm just keeping really busy. I, there's like three major projects that'll be announced any day now and um and bitterroot just got optioned by legendary so legendary is making the film of um of uh bitterroot and ryan coogler is set to produce it we haven't found a director yet but we're you know everybody's working on the screenplay and looking at a 2021 or 2022 release for the bitterroot movie so that's that's super exciting and yeah um, and just keeping busy you know trying not to I don't have to fall into the trap of being too idle. I don't think I've ever seen you idle. <laughs> <laughs> it it happens. It happens from time to time. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much. It's always a pleasure speaking to you and talking about black exploitation films. Uh, I still want to run a film series with you, so one day. That would be awesome. I'd love to do that. There's and and you know what? I think now the now there might be some actual interest. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I do think that this. The Dolomite is my name is going to. Um, I'm hoping it sparks some some new interest in in that era, um, and and in a in a appreciative way, not in a mm-hmm. mocking sort of way. That's what's crucial for me. Well, I feel like we're in a time frame right now where people are almost looking so hard to find things to be offended by that they want to yeah. kind of like tuck things away that don't fit their comfort zone. And I feel like we're losing some things that if you present them in the right context and understand where they come from, like they can be appreciated on their own merits. But I feel like it's hard to show some things um, because of that. No, it's difficult. I, you know, I've hosted screenings. um, I've been hosting screenings now for over 20 years, but now we have to get up myself or one of the someone I'm working with will have to get up in front of the audience before a movie and go, okay, so here are the things that there's going to be some things that might trigger you, you know, and cause inevitably mm-hmm. you're going to get an, a, you know, an angry email or phone call or someone's going to protest you. It's like, well, you know, we're, we're screening Russ Meyer movies here. So you should know that, um, yeah, that these movies are 
technically sexploitation movies. So if, if this is something that offends you, leave now. You know, um, it's, and it's interesting to me how, how much people want. You're right. It's like they want to be offended. They want to find a reason to be righteously indignant. And it's like, okay, um, I think there's other things to be righteously indignant about. Um, and, and if you become indignant about something that you willingly went to go see, especially a film, you know, it's like, then it's kind of like shame on you, you know, don't, don't ruin my good time. Well, it's also, I feel like there's two parts of that. It's like, I understand people who may object to a film and they have the right to criticize it and to point out what's wrong with it and discuss it. But there's that spectrum where that criticism starts trending towards censoring and making it unavailable and taking away the ability to see those films. And that's like where... I find it difficult. That's where, that's where I got to draw the line. I'm with you 100. percent Yeah, I just I just watched um, Billy Wilder's The Apartment, mm-hmm. which is you know one of my favorite movies of all time. I, I rewatched it for the first time in probably two or three years. Definitely the first time I've watched it since the whole Me Too movement yeah. has uh-huh. started. And wow, talk about seeing things from a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. But it's still an amazing movie, and it still deserves to be seen, and it's still you know one of Billy Wilder's best and Shirley MacLaine is amazing, and everybody in it is amazing, and you know there's a there's a different understanding of the movie in a in a contemporary context, but that doesn't change the fact that it's a great movie, and we should never dismiss it or try to put it into a box because it doesn't fit with all of our our contemporary sensibilities. It's like okay, well, let's examine how we've grown as a society. Mm-hmm. Let's examine how we've grown cinematically since then, but. Some people aren't interested in that. They're just interested in, in not being offended and, and shoving their views down your throat. Well, and also, if you forget where we come from, if you don't appreciate what the past was like, then yep. it's more difficult to kind of figure out where we are now or why things are the way they are if we've kind of just tucked all that stuff away. Exactly. No, I agree 100%. Well, as always, it's uh, so much fun to talk with you, and I hope we can get you down here in San Diego to do some screenings. Yeah, that would be great. That would be really cool. That was David Walker. I need to take one more short break, and then I'll be back with filmmakers Sands Dixon and Dante Moran to talk about Eddie Murphy in Dolomite Is My Name and the original Rudy Ray Moore. Damn, look like my women is on time. Dolomite is my name, and fucking up motherfuckers is my game. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. I'm Dolan. I'm the one that killed Monday, whooped Tuesday, put Wednesday in the hospital, called up Thursday to tell Friday not to bury Saturday on Sunday. I'm the one that had the elephants roosting in trees and all the ants wearing BBD. From the first to the last, I give them the blast so fast that their life is passed before their ass has even hit the grass. See me uptown, downtown, crowned and renowned. 
delayed, relayed, mislaid, and parlayed. Hatch, match, snatch, and scratch. Whack, jack, smack, crack, boot black, blackjack, racetrack, and flapjack, and still coming back. If you crave satisfaction, this is the place to find that action. That was the original 1975 trailer for Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite. So I have in studio here with me Sands Dixon and Dante Moran, who are both San Diego filmmakers. And you guys have seen this original Dolomite film. Eddie Murphy has a film right now called Dolomite Is My Name that's about Rudy Ray Moore making that film. But what do you remember of the original Dolomite film? Actually... I was very young when I saw it. The thing that I remember the most was the fight at the end with uh, was it Willie Green, and when he finally when they finally had their big fight, I was not expecting him to rip out his spleen or was it his intestines, <laughs> and and then the um, I forgot was he a cop? His friend when he comes in, he's like, "Damn, Dolomite!" and then he shoots him. I don't know for some reason. I just I remember watching that thinking. That's that's wrong, but it's great. <laughs> so that that's that's my memory of that film. And Dante, uh, the one thing I definitely uh, remember from uh, Dolomite was uh, the crazy fashion, uh, <laughs> you know. And then you would start to see people emulate that fashion around because uh, I didn't see Dolomite until like the '80s. You know, I wasn't allowed to watch anything like that. You know, when uh, it first came out, and so, uh, but. He had a big influence on the way people talked, the way people dressed, and I think a lot of people thought, you know, his ideas of uh, him incorporating uh, female martial artists, gunplay, BS talking, uh, you know, brothers who were running stuff, you know, he was the, the pinnacle of that. A lot of uh, films started to follow his, uh, his format, and I'm sure he was, well, by the movie that we saw well, starring Eddie Murphy, you know, he was uh, downplayed. A lot of his ideas were downplayed. A lot of people thought the film was trash. You saw the reviews, and, you know, he, they were never given any good reviews. It was all about the audience review. And so that that's one of the things I always look for these days when I'm looking at, you know, Google or Amazon, or not Amazon, but uh, IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes. I look at the audience reviews first because, you know, these films are made for the audience. And that's what he was doing. He was making a film for his audience, and uh, I commend him on that. So Dolomite is considered part of the black exploitation movement that was in the 70s. However, the films from that period that tend to survive more are more of kind of the dramas and the action films, stuff like Pam Greer and Coffee and Foxy Brown or films starring Jim Brown. And uh, those are the ones that tend to get remembered better. Dolomite is kind of an oddity within the black exploitation genre because it was it was action but it was also comedy and it was kind of way over the top. So how does this film kind of fit into that genre and kind of how do you think it's being remembered? Uh well I think one of the things that helped it, you know, it's still being remembered now and uh why someone like, say, Eddie Murphy would have an affinity for it is it's do-it-yourself approach, you know, the independent spirit, you know, because he put that together himself. Many of those films that, you know, are big in the the exploitation uh, genre, those are studio films. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have uh, studio directors, studio production and whatnot, and uh, he just winged it. 
you know, and I, I think uh, you get you're gonna get knocked for that because it, it's not as polished as the other films that have come out, and uh, there are no real stars. I don't think there were any stars except for what Dorvel Martin, yeah. who played Willie Green, and he was in some other films. But other than that, he was the only star in the film. So he was the was it the elevator guy yeah you know, Rosemary's baby. <laughs> <laughs> um not to cut you off but no, i think right. as far as where it's it's funny because when you mentioned doing this i looked up black exploitation because or black exploitation films because i when you say black exploitation films i think like you said coffee bucktown cotton comes to harlem uh it was a sweet backs mm-hmm. that ass song did you know cooley high is considered a black exploitation film well it so. also depends who's making the list that's true too. Mm-hmm. That's true too. But yeah. But I saw it on several. <laughs> yeah. And that's for me. I guess when you ask how does it fit mm-hmm. in, I guess it's just another take on the black experience, because um, I guess ultimately what black exploitation films were was kind of the overcoming the the man, the white man, or <laughs> just the system or whatever. I mean, they depending on where it's set. You know, in the South, it was more. You know, the man is a racist, whereas up north, you know, it was more the man in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like with Dolomite, yeah, it was just a black experience, but it wasn't as polished. It was very much a B film. Mm-hmm. But I feel like just dedication, love, and ambition got that film to where it was. Mm-hmm. So. Well, based on the Eddie Murphy film, you get a little of that Ed Wood vibe in the sense it's somebody who really wanted to get into the film industry and to make a film. And despite the fact that he had a lot of financial hardships and didn't really have the support of the studio system, he was just bound and determined to get something made. I think the difference between him and Ed Wood, and I don't, I don't know that much about Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing, but I feel like Ed Wood thought of himself as a filmmaker. Yeah, and I feel like with Rudy Ray Moore, he wanted to be famous. Yes, and this is this is going off of what I saw in the movie, mm-hmm. and I think how it worked for him was he wanted to be famous um, via this film, so. I mean, talking about the Eddie Murphy film, he was willing to rely on others to get him there. He wasn't a control freak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talking about the, the the film that Eddie Murphy did, that's the thing that jumped out to me was just the production process. Because me and Dante, we both done films and you know how important <laughs> it is to keep just doing a short, just doing like a, a two to three day shoot on a short you can lose your crew. So doing a feature where there's not a great script, there's not a great talent, and it just in his situation, you had a director who was checked out, which is massive, yet he still kept everyone like motivated and they wanted to see this done. That's huge. We want this thing to be raw. Tell it like it is on the streets. Yeah, lots of pimps and hoes and cussing. And kung fu, and karate. Brothers love all that kung fu and karate. Do you know karate? No, but I'm a fast learner. I can learn how to chop me a mother. You know what we should have? A all-girl kung fu army. Um, 
you know, there, there's, there's plenty of story opportunity, Rudy. Across this nation, inner cities are being plagued by violent crime. I, I, I feel the government hasn't stepped up. That's it. It's Whitey's fault. The mayor's corrupt, and there's an exorcism. God damn it. An exorcism? Yeah, you know all that whole mother in hell. Um, I, I don't know how that fits into our urban uh, motif. Rudy Ray Moore, um, he was, I would think, like, you know, you can think of him in terms of being the original Robert Rodriguez. You know, uh, Robert Rodriguez was my influence and or inspiration into being a filmmaker. I saw uh, um, El Mariachi, and then when I read his book, I'm just like, this is what I want to do. Because, I mean, I've always been into films, but you're always being told, this is what you have to do, and it's always going to be financially, you know, uh, impossible for you to get there. Where this guy is saying, no, you don't need to do any of that stuff. All you need to do is go out, make the film that you want to make, and somebody will find it. And when you hear words like that, you know, it, it causes you to, to go out and it's like, you know what, I'm going to find myself. Whether I, I win or lose, I at least going to get out of the house and make the attempt. And uh, like you were saying, you know, being too stupid to quit. I was very naive, <laughs> you know, in uh, filmmaking. And that's why I jumped into it, you know, both feet. And then once I'm in there, there's no getting out. But plus, I'm obsessed with it. So... Uh, this is something that I, I want to do until the day I pass, and uh, I'm never going to quit. Black exploitation films came up in the 70s. This is kind of the time when Hollywood was discovering that there was a black audience out there and they could actually make money by tailoring films for that audience, by either having uh, the lead actors be African-American or maybe the director, like Gordon Parks. But... A lot of those films were popular because, like, Pam Greer had this sense of kind of female empowerment to a degree, or you got to see Fred Williamson kind of stick it to the man. Is Dolomite a little more problematic because of the fact that he's depicting characters who might be pimps or prostitutes or are dealing with kind of a different realm of experience that kind of looking back on or even at the time was not as fully embraced by some people? Well, I think uh, he was probably given maybe a little bit more slack, if you will, because it was a comedy. Mm -hmm. You can get away with a lot of stuff if you do parodies. And uh, nobody took him seriously. And I think a lot of people thought he was going to fail initially. And so it's just like, you know, hey, we're not even going to bother with this guy. And then all of a sudden he becomes successful. Um, and he had to four-wall it. Uh, and then after that, I mean, it's pretty much like today. Hollywood will find you if you do the work on YouTube. So if you have a million followers, you have so many views on your, on your videos and whatnot, you can get a, a meeting. Whereas you are a very talented artist, uh, you, are, you can make a movie in your sleep. However, you don't have the followers, you don't have the high ratings on the content, it's very hard to get looked at. And so uh, he basically had to, to do that. By four-walling, he brought Hollywood to him. And, and in case people don't know, four-walling means he had to rent the theaters and pay for his film to be shown and gamble on the fact that an audience would come to him and allow him to make a profit on that. And that's a little more risky than if a, a, a studio distributes your film. Yeah, um... It's funny you you um, with your question because I was reading an article a few weeks ago about um, 
I forgot who put it out, but there was a report that was done maybe four years ago, and it was on um, black spending. I can't remember if it was worldwide or just in the United States, but basically it summarized that businesses by ignoring the black community are leaving like $1 trillion every year on the table. And surprise, surprise, after that report came out, you see more black films, you see more of a focus on black audiences and just multi- multiculturalism. Going back to black exploitation films, I think that's where they were at the time where it was, there's money in this and it's cheap. So we can spend, would you say a hundred grand and make 2 million? I'd I take those odds any day. I'm just curious about that film in particular in the context of black exploitation. Is it a film that it was popular then? It, it definitely found an audience then, but is it more problematic for people to kind of screen it now? So what I was going to say is I feel with that, it was a cheap film. It was successful. And then kind of like what we're seeing today, you could make a franchise out of it. And those are cheap and those are successful as well. I think that's one of those things where, and I feel like every group kind of has that, um, where it's like, we can joke about this, but you can't. And -hmm. I feel like Dolomite falls into that. So I'm sure when it came out, black audiences loved it. It's kind of like what in in the Eddie Murphy movie where the, um, I think it was the producer told him, I can only sell this or the people that would buy this, there's only like five blocks of them. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, but there's five, five blocks worth of these people in every city. And that's all it takes. You know, he wasn't, again, he wanted to be famous, but he, I don't know, maybe he was just a bit delusional and it worked out for him. But I feel like he, in being a singer and being a comedian, you feed off the crowd. And I feel like doing live performances, you're more aware of what works than doing a movie. So, and he he got through that movie pretty quickly. So I feel like it was very much of the time and it worked, but times have changed. So now I can see, nowadays I can see both sides. I can see that it's offensive. Um, Why are we showing this? Let's ban it and hide it forever. But you can still look at it and laugh. Um, especially just as a film in general. I mean, you've seen, uh, was it Black Dynamite made fun of all the boom, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if you watch that movie, you see the boom so much. And if you've ever worked on a set, like that's the AD, or I'm sorry, the, the DP loses his mind anytime the boom comes into the frame. So it's just, I feel like it's something that if you're talking about the subject matter, yeah, it's stereotypical. Yeah, it, it's violent as hell. It's very sexist. <laughs> but I feel like some, you have to remember that it's of its time. So I'm going to say no. It's not problematic. Dante, do you want to chime in on that? Do I find Dolomite being problematic? Absolutely not. I mean, if you listen to the radio alone, man, I mean, you have uh, people driving around with their little eight-year-olds playing all kinds of very, very, you know, interesting music, and so uh, yeah, Dolomite. That compared to what we what we have today, that's nothing. It is vulgar. Yeah, I mean, it's very vulgar, and so, but that's his audience. Uh, like uh, Sands was saying, you know, by him doing the tours, being a singer, being a stand-up uh, uh, comedian, he knew what the audience what the audience wanted, what they, I guess you could say, needed. 
as far as uh, breaking away from the typical studio dynamics. I know one thing, a lot of people who enjoyed the black exploitation uh, genre, uh, like say they were in their 20s or whatnot during that era, they loved it because it was different. It showed a different black audience. I love Sidney Poitier, but I also, you know, uh, love Fred Williamson, you know, and, and it gives you something different because like we had talked about before, you know, those movies stirred up a lot of mess, you know, uh, within like the neighborhood. If you were a person, you know, uh, one year you're dressed like Sidney Poitier, but then all of a sudden these movies coming out, now the, uh, the uh, shirts are open, people got the chest hair showing, pants are tight and whatnot, you know, and it's like the hair's out and people's walk, their swagger. After Shaft came out, everybody was walking differently, you know. You got black dudes wearing leather coats in summertime in Michigan, you know, so you know that is an influence right there. And so uh, you have uh, the people who are in power, let's say uh, the preachers, the churches and whatnot, they are starting to lose their grip on the youth because of these, mus the, these movies, because of the music. Uh, it was very interesting, a very interesting time. And so, uh, and Dolomite was one of those people, whereas you could get his albums on 8-track and people would be driving through the neighborhood. They'd be playing his music. Uh, you had the, the Cool Modis. I mean, this is a little bit later, but, you know, all these people are influenced by Rudy Ray Moore's stand-up, by his mo movies. You know, and it's it's funny, something you said I that totally, I, that totally caught my attention is when you're young, you always want what's, you know, anti, yeah. what's subversive, whatever. Mm. And that's the other thing, because um, what you like, it's it's funny growing up and getting older, because just looking at my friends, you remember the 90s, the mm -hmm. early 90s. We, we were we were assholes mm. <laughs> and we like, you know, all, you know, Nirvana, Tupac, like whereas now it's kind of like, oh, man, this rap music is so bad i don't think that rap music nowadays is worse than it was back then and i don't think what was bad in the 90s was worse than um what he was doing and the reason i say that is it's one thing when you're just putting on a show trying to sh be edgy or you know whatever but there was a lot of truth in what he was doing he was building a character mm -hmm. but there was a lot of truth in that a lot of pain in it it was kind of a if if you're gonna hold me down, you know I'm gonna go out swinging, sort of thing. Like it was it was very rebellious his um his character, and I feel like that is more offensive, which especially you know nowadays for some reason, than if it's just kind of you know constructed just to make money. I don't know if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's just kind of like. Typically, the truth will offend people way more than a lie, oh, yeah. if that makes more sense. <laughs> now, Eddie Murphy had been working on a project about Rudy Ray Moore for quite some time. That film is finally out, and we got to see it. So it's in part a biography of him in his later life, right before he makes Dolomite, and his kind of obsession with bringing this to the screen and the challenges he faces. So what did you think of the film? Did you enjoy it? I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought, uh, I mean, I've always liked Eddie, and I like to see him in more dramatic roles, you know, where he can, you know, show uh, 
more of his acting skills. I mean, granted, you have like the Nutty Professor and like Coming to America where he's playing multiple characters and whatnot, but you saw uh, many levels of emotion just coming out of this one character and, uh, you know, the ups and downs. And us as filmmakers, we totally understand that, you know. You can get really beat down in this industry, especially if you have a love or an obsession for what you're doing for a script. Uh, with, and Eddie Murphy, you know, he's been around for what? Nearly almost, 30 years? Yeah, over 30 almost years? Almost 40 years. Yeah, yeah, almost 40 years. And yet he's still having problems bringing this to the screen. So imagine if you're, you know, someone, this is your, your first film and you're trying to convince a bunch of people to, you know, do this project for free or for, you know, next to nothing. It's, it's very difficult. Like you were saying, on, on a short, you can lose your, your crew within a day. So uh, I liked it. I liked uh, the, the passion that was put into it. You can definitely tell that um, Eddie had a respect for Rudy. And that's the one thing I like. You know, nothing is worse than hearing an actor saying that he's never seen the source material on the, the new role that he's about to adventure on. You know, and it's like, what is this? So you can tell that Eddie did his, his uh, research, did his homework, and had a lot of respect for Rudy. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. And Sands? Mm -hmm. I loved it, and mm -hmm. I think Dante nailed um, what I loved about it. I'm a sucker for any film that shows film production, <laughs> mm -hmm. especially in a way that I relate to. Also, I'm a sucker for the, I guess, internally or eternally optimistic character, mm -hmm. even though I love dark movies. Well, and, and again, it's because... And Dante, you're going to hate me, but <laughs> the Rodriguez approach to filmmaking, I'm not a fan of and I've never been a fan of it because I feel <laughs> because, well, no, because the thing I love about filmmaking is that it's a team effort and you I don't care how good of a director you are or actor or whatever you you need everyone else. You need that AD. You need that DP. You need the gaffer to know how. You know, it's you. It's a it's a team effort. And I I actually thought it was actually the thing that really sold me on Rudy Ray Moore or his portrayal of Rudy Ray Moore was Wesley Snipes' character. I forgot the I forgot the <laughs> act um, the actor he was portraying, but I think we we've all been on film sets and you know what it's like to see a director lose a set and it's it's very you know, if you're on like a 10 hour shoot and everyone's checked out within the first hour, it's painful. Everything moves slow. It you see it in the end. It's just bad. So for him to to rally everyone constantly through the end <laughs> of a feature that had no budget, that was very inspirational for me. Again, it's because I've been there before. I know what it's like to see that both at the top and at the bottom. I don't know. I just because it's just so easy to um, just throw in the towel and going in, he basically wagered his future. Right. It was his rights for all of his because he was a success and he wagered future royalties. Right. Mm -hmm. To get this movie done. And it's funny because I remember when I first started going into film, the first thing you always hear is don't use your own money. Whereas nowadays it's kind of like, why not? And I've always felt that way. And I like that he felt that way. And typically when you look through the history of Hollywood, all of these movies that, you know, come out of nowhere, it's typically the director betting on themselves. So, yeah, I'm a sucker for stories like that. Now, you brought up Wesley Snipes. So let's have a moment 
to praise him. Oscar nominated <laughs> yes. actor. And so, oh, by the way, he was playing Dorvel Martin. Dorvel Martin, yeah. yes. So, <laughs> oh my God. Just so people have a context for this. So, in the film, he plays this actor that Rudy Ray Moore wants to get in his film. But knows that because his film doesn't have much weight to it, mm-hmm. he offers him the chance to direct it, even though the guy probably had no real <laughs> talent for that in particular. And so he's on the set every day looking a little high, maybe, and not, 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 not quite invested in the project in quite the same way that Rudy is. But um, it was a great performance. <laughs> so entertaining. It's so good to see Wesley back. Yes. And if you've ever worked on a film like that, because he, I feel like he so nailed the actor that was above it all. Yeah. Have you ever worked on a shoot where Mm -hmm. an actor is directing? It's interesting. Um, But just the fact that he was, he was so above it all, but when you actually see what he's doing, it's not that great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And although again, he, I, because I've seen it firsthand, watching him do it was just amazing. (laughs) And Dante, you um, brought up the fact that Eddie Murphy had this affection for Rudy Ray Moore. And one of the things they do at the end of the film is after you've seen Eddie Murphy's version of Dolomite, we get some actual footage from the Dolomite film. Coming to this theater as this next attraction is the picture that will put you in traction. Dolomite, starring me, Rudy Ray Moore, as Dolomite. And that bad Durville Martin as Willie Green. Dolomite. Dolomite. And it was pretty amazing how accurately he captured all that. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't know what the budget was, but it looked like, you know, they put some some time, some money into it. And, uh, again, uh... My name is Do- my name is Dolomite is a polished version of the you know the exploitation uh, genre. Uh, he, I would think that would be something you know. Um, Larry Cohen's name would come up at the end of that if that name if that movie Eddie Murphy's movie was made back in the seventies because of the production and whatnot. But uh, again, rough and ready, uh, I'll take it. You know. If you have the uh, independent spirit, if you if I hear a story like, yeah, I mortgaged my house like the Soska, Soska sisters did to get American Mary made, I will see your film. Just to see, you know, hey, what did you do? You know, what obsessed you so much that you put your future, you know, on the line? I think that says a lot about a person. And it's unfortunate that I think that filmmaking spirit has really gone away. You're talking about the the filmmaking spirit. I don't know. I don't know if it's because we were talking about this earlier. I don't know if it's dead. I do think there's something to it being easier. And that again, going back to the the, the Dolomite film, um, shooting on film makes you really you 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 have to have everything set. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't shoot a scene and then just do playback with, with film. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. So, and it's a totally different way of lighting. Whereas with digital, it's just, it's a little too easy. And that's just, 
don't know. I I don't I don't want to say that we've lost that indie spirit. I just think that it's a little too easy. And it's like anything like you hear people complain about sports and music. Anything that gets big becomes easier over time. And the barrier to entry is no longer skill. It's just saturation. And I think that's where we are now. There are still great films being made. There's just so many bad films being made. You have to wade through them. And that's what works against you because a lot of filmmakers um, still believe that the way to get discovered is, you know, just making something, putting it online or going to a film festival. Mm-hmm. Well, you put it in a film festival, the film festival makes money. Maybe you'll get discovered, but maybe not. Because there was a big write-up on um, films, um, like all the hits from Sundance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all losing money. So it's, and I guess maybe this is outside of the indie spirit, but maybe not so much where if you're making a film and you want to be a filmmaker, you have to think, well, this film get me to the next film. And I feel like, where we are right now, it's just, okay, I've got this camera that, you know, autofocus and, you know, minimal lighting and I got a hot actress or a hot actor lead, whatever. Maybe they have some juice behind them and I just put it out. But who's the audience, you mm-hmm. know? And I don't know. I feel like with Dolomite, I feel like he worked all that out. Like he already knew it was already, it was already mapped out. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that makes the process so much easier. That's how you approach it. It's it that makes the the process of making the film much easier. But then you have to go to the distribution, and that's where he ran into a lot of, of problems. Um, I, I totally agree with you. Um, we definitely have an oversaturated market, um, and even with autofocus, minimal lighting cameras, and stuff like that, there's still a lot of crap coming out <laughs> because nobody learns how to use the camera. And but, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's funny you. You know, you're talking about distribution and saturation because he actually ran into that then too. Yeah, remember he was saying, saying there's yeah. too there's too many black exploitation films coming out. So it's like, what is it about your film that would make us want to put it out? And it wasn't until he forewalled it and it made money. And I mean, again, we've heard this story a million times. Well, also he didn't follow the formula. You know, by that time there had already been a formula. You know, you have mm-hmm. to have this, you have that. I mm-hmm. mean, you have Pam Greer in your film. Yeah, come on in. Mm-hmm. We got you. Uh, or have anybody that even looks like Pam Greer. And basically, he was using people that he knew, you know, yeah. the neighbors and whatnot. Uh, people that I'm sure Hollywood would think would be a band of misfits. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, Hollywood didn't understand that this is pretty much a good depiction of America. You know, a better depiction than, you know, you don't see Pam Greer's walking around everywhere. <laughs> Now, with Eddie Murphy, who's got a lot of, he's he has a lot of fame and he has a lot of followers. So, when someone like him decides to make a film, looking back on someone like Rudy Ray Moore, you know, we have a younger generation that seems to not know anything that was made before their date of birth. <laughs> uh, how does this? How do you think this is going to play out? Do you think it will? make people more aware of just his films or maybe make them even think of going back and looking at some of these other films or at least placing these films kind of into a context to let us know why we are where we at now. I think like uh, the people who grew up with uh, Rudy Ray uh, or like the black exploitation uh, era are definitely going to check it out. You know, if you're an Eddie Murphy fan, you're going to check it out. If you like black films, you should definitely check it out. But I think there are going to be a lot of white people who 
watch this film because there were a lot of white people who love the exploitation uh, genre. There were a lot of white people that want to tell other white people to go F themselves, you know, just like, you know, Dolomite would do it, just like Fred Williamson would do it. Um, like you were saying, it was in the North. It was. It was about the system. And a lot of people who felt, you know, downtrodden, you know, uh, foot on the neck, uh, responded to the film, you know, re regardless of, you know, the color uh, or um, social standing of, of the people on screen. You know, they felt the representation in, in their words. And so uh, I think there could be a, a resurgence. I, I definitely think you're going to uh, hear some of the, the sound bites on some of the songs coming out. You're going to see a lot of that. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. I feel like if, uh, and actually, full disclosure, I was like that when I was young. I didn't know anything beyond the 70s when I was younger. It it, it wasn't until college that I really expanded, you know, my um, my knowledge. But I feel like with with uh, My Name is Dolomite, um, that's why I like the scene at the end where he's talking to the kid. And mm -hmm. I think even when the movie ends they there was text on the screen about um how he influenced rap because mm -hmm. he told i mean <laughs> yeah. i mean mm -hmm. it's that was a big duh but i feel like um if there's a connection with uh, younger people today that'll probably be it it they may check him out just to hear what he says like dante said so they can put it on our album or in a youtube video or something um because one thing i'm realizing is with film a lot of the great films, they're not like new films. They're not necessarily great. They're they've just ripped off stuff that not a lot of people have seen. So, <laughs> so you go go deep and you can probably get a nice sound bite. All right. Well, I want to thank you both very much for talking about the original Dolomite and Eddie Murphy's version of that. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That was Dante Moran, along with Sans Dixon, talking about Rudy Ray Moore and Eddie Murphy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cinema Junkie Podcast. I hope the show will inspire you to seek out some of Rudy Ray Moore's films to appreciate his place in both black exploitation cinema and in film history in a broader sense. And also to look for Eddie Murphy paying tribute to Moore in the new film Dolomite Is My Name. It starts streaming on Netflix on October 25th and will also have a limited theatrical run. So till our next film fix, I'm Betha Commando, your resident cinema junkie. Cinema Junkie comes out every other week. Till our next film fix, I'm Betha Commando, your resident cinema junkie.
KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.